0: Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. All right, grab your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 19. We'll get to 20 in a minute. Turn to Exodus Chapter 19, if you haven't been with us, we're, we're studying the Ten Commandments. We're making our way through this for how many weeks? That was... <laughs> almost didn't know how long, and I would have just walked off and gone home, and you would have been left here, and I would have given up completely. Let me start here, though. We're, we're trying to understand the heart of God in the law of God, right? What is it that God cares about? Why is it that He gives rules and instructions and guidelines for life when he gives us the law. And I want you to start in Exodus 19 because I want you to see and be reminded of this. Exodus 19, he's speaking to Moses. He says, tell my people this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Take yourself back into that place of the Exodus story that we've been talking about and the plagues and the miracles and the power of God and the people being rescued from bondage of every kind, societal, economic, social, relational, ethnic, Uh, in every way, spiritual bondage, in every way, they've been liberated. A Red Sea was parted. They were set free. They don't yet know how to live free. He says, you've seen what I did, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and among all the peoples of the earth a holy nation. I want you to see the order and pay attention to the order because it's the most important part. First, God saves the people. That's what happens first. He saves the people, rescues them from bondage. He liberates them. Then as they've seen his greatness and they've seen his goodness, they begin to to build a trust and a confidence in his ways, in his character, in his reputation. He is great. He is good. I want to walk in his ways and obey him. And then that leads them to experience the blessings of obedience, of walking in freedom. Not going back to bondage once again, but delighting and actually having a relationship With the God of the universe, all the earth is his. The order is important. Gospel first, then law. And and for God's people, the Ten Commandments weren't instructions for how to get out of Egypt. Turn left and then go ten paces. Turn right, follow commandments three through seven. And then you'll be free. But they were directions for a people who had been set free on how to continue remaining free as they go about their life. Free in relationship with God and free from bondage with other people. That's the point of the Ten Commandments. And the reason I start here this morning is because you and I both know that there are a lot of people who believe Christianity goes like this. God has rules. And if you obey the rules very carefully and, and you get every one of them right and you work really hard at it then maybe God will accept you. Maybe God will love you. You can earn that love of God and you can find a place with him and a place with his church if only you would know and follow all of the rules. But that's not how it was in the Exodus story and that's not how it is with Jesus either. Remember your John 15, 14. Jesus said to his followers, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, then I will love you say that. Now in John 13, context of this, Jesus goes to his followers. In fact, it says just before this moment that he has this awareness, the the author uh, of this gospel has this awareness that the Father had put all things in Jesus' hands, that he is the master over everything. He had come from the Father and he would return to the Father. He knows who he is. And he bows down before his disciples and he begins to wash their feet in an act of humility, an act of love, an act of service that is foreshadowing the greater act of service that he would perform on the cross for them, right? This context. Then in John 14, he begins to talk about the intimacy between the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the intimacy between himself and his people, that he and his people would be one, like he is one with the Father and the Spirit. And then he says, in the context of this, if you love me, you keep my commands. If you love me, because I loved you first, I'm creating I'm creating an environment in which you may flourish as a person. I want you to flourish. If you love me, walk in my commands. This is the reason the law is given. It's not given to restrict or, or strip back liberation that's already been given by God. No, it's given to a people who have received grace who have experienced God's grace, that they would walk in that grace, continue in that grace, not return to some ugly legalistic or or, or some kind of controlling manipulative bondage in which they had lived before Christ had set them free, before God has set the Israelites free from the Egyptians and slavery that they had lived in for over 400 years. It's given to them that they might walk in grace and be a people of grace. The Ten Commandments were given to them that they would know how to live. These people had never known freedom a day in their life, the generation of the Exodus. It's showing them how to live and how to love their neighbor and how to love God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, all of their strength. How do we say that around here? Often, we say, from not one person knows. We say, from not Four, right? Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. From, not, for. Learn this. It reminds us. Preach this, self to your, preach this to yourself in the mirror each day. From, not, for. It reminds us that we walk in God's ways, not for acceptance not for approval, not for a place at his table or a place in the the family of God, but from a place of recognizing I've already been loved, I've already been chosen, I know who I am, I have been called by God, he has said my name, I've responded in faith, I walk in his ways from a place of being deeply cared for and deeply loved by the God of the universe. And the whole earth is his, and he loves me, right? Right? This is the big picture, it's the 30,000-foot the view uh, of the Ten Commandments, and what we've done so far is we've looked at the first two commandments, and today we're at the third, and it's only one verse. Doesn't mean we'll be here shorter, it, it, but there's only one verse, and and because it's one verse, I think maybe we in history have read it, we've read it briefly, uh, we have assumed very quickly... Oh. I get that. I I understand what that means. And maybe we've assumed this is maybe one of the easier commands for us to follow. It's in verse 7 in Exodus 20. Just flip one page over. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. You know this commandment? You've heard this one before somewhere. How many of you grew up believing, maybe somebody taught you this, that it simply meant don't use God's name when you're cussing? This is, this is church. We like, we're big on vulnerability and honesty, right? I grew up believing this. I grew up thinking this, that, that you just, it meant when you're mad, don't be like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe this. You, you, you don't go OMG or GD or... you. If you don't do that, then you have fulfilled the third commandment, and you're good. So I grew up thinking, I'm really good at following the law of God. Look at me. And I made it a practice in my life to use other curse words and just not use God's name (laughs) with those curse words. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this commandment. And I want to ask a series of questions from it to make sure we've understood it. I want to ask, what does it mean? I want to ask, why is it here? 50 days after they're brought out of slavery, God gives them 10 words. One of the 10 words. The third word is, don't take my name in vain. Seems to be a big deal. Why is it here? How do we tend to fall short with this command? Where do we struggle breaking it? And how does Jesus fulfill this commandment? Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to Now you're with me to fulfill it, right? How does Jesus do that in this case? How does he fulfill the third commandment? And then based on that, how does the New Testament reframe it for those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ? And so this morning, let's take a look at this. I want to show you, before we we dive in, three different translations of of this verse that you probably, I would guess no one has these translations in your lap this morning, unless you're Googling. uh, The Knox Translation. It's John Knox translation from the Latin Vulgate. He says thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God lightly on thy lips. Hang on to that. Amplified version picks up from there and says lightly or frivolously in false affirmations or profanely. And I'll give you one more. The Jerusalem Bible says you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God for Yahweh will not leave unpunished Anyone who misuses, who misuses, I think that's helpful, who misuses his name. Now, the, this word uh, vain in your Bible is the Hebrew word shav, and it means to take something and to empty it of its contents. To take something and empty it of its meaning and leave that some, something there that once was full now completely empty. So, what does this mean with all of these translations? It means all of the above. It means that the name of God should never be spoken, written, uttered, sung, listen to this, or represented in any way that is empty, frivolous, or insincere, never lightly on your lips, never lightly with your life, and why? Why is this the third of the 10 words after 400 years of slavery for the people of God? Why is this a big deal? Is it the word itself? It can't be, right? It can't just be the the word itself is such a big deal. No, it's what's behind the word that is a very big deal. What's behind the word, what's behind the name of God is who God is. Your name represents you. Show you how this works. Anybody remember the movie The Sandlot? Anyone loved The Sandlot? Yeah? Anyone watched The Sandlot in the last five years? Anyone see this and say, I'm going to watch The Sandlot when I go home today? <laughs> I recommend it. It holds up very well. You remember the lead character, Scotty Smalls? His name, his name already is telling you something about his character, right? In his name, he comes into the group, and he's kind of, in some ways, the smallest figure in the group, not just physically, but but in the, what he brings to the table and, and his abilities. But there's the moment where he whacks the ball over the fence and the beast gets the baseball. And everybody's so excited for him, but he's not excited at all. He's upset. He's he's devastated. Why? Because it's not his th- baseball. And he tells his friends, it's not my ball. I took the ball. Who would you take it from? It was my stepdad's ball. I took it from him, and it was autographed. And they go, who signed the ball? He goes, I don't know. Some woman signed it. Some lady named Ruth. Baby Ruth. And at that moment, all chaos breaks out. The Sultan of Swat, the Titan of Terror, the Colossus of Clout, the Colossus of Clout, the King of Crash, the great Bambino. And it hits him, Scotty, like it washes over him. That guy? Because the name Baby Ruth isn't just a name. The name Babe Ruth represents an incredible figure, a greatness in the game of baseball that has incredible glory and value and worth. It's what's behind the name. Another example, I grew up as a kid during the prime of Michael Jordan's career. We called him Air Jordan. We called him his airness. Uh, We said we want to be like Mike. Uh, You didn't even need to say his name. You could just put his emblem up. The Jordan brand emblem means so much. It's not just a guy slam dunking the ball. It means greatness. It means glory. It means fight. It means flight club. It means defense. It means dunks. It means competitiveness. It means championships. And all of that, all of that is represented by the name. Even today, Jordan means greatness. And that's how it is. Our names stand for something. They they stand for our reputation. They represent our character. Our names are intended to represent who we are. Our good name represents who we are to anyone who might come to know us. And this is the reason why God has a lot of care about how we speak about him and about how we treat his name. Look at your Bible at verse 7 again. Verse 7, does it say LORD there in all caps in your Bible? Is it all caps? Okay, this is a hint, it's a trick by the English translators and the English publishers. It's not always in all caps when you find LORD in your Bible, but when you find it here in the Old Testament in all caps... It is a hint telling you this is relating to Yahweh, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. And it appears uh, around 7,000 times in most translations in your Old Testament. The name Yahweh, or your all caps in English, Lord, that's the covenant name of God that he revealed himself to his people by. And his name literally means, Yahweh means what? I heard it. I am, I am, that I am. And you think about that story in Exodus 3 where God from within a burning bush, and some miracle of only God proportions, only God could do this. He speaks from within a burning bush to Moses and says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. You're going to deal with Pharaoh. You're going to take my people who have been for generations and generations in bondage and you're going to walk them right out of town. And Moses goes, well, who, who should I say send me? And God says, tell them Yahweh sent you. Hebrew word means I am sent you. And it, it, What God means by that is I am the everlasting God, the eternal God, the self-existing God. No one has made me the glorious one, the real one who's always been, always is, and always will be, who is alive and who is present. I am. That's who is sending you back into Egypt. You tell them that. It's everything that stands behind his name that matters. God says, you need something to call me by, I'll give you a name. The word isn't as important, though, as everything it conveys. It conveys my glory, my goodness, my greatness, my mercy, my justice, my love, and on and on. And in some unique, mysterious, holy, wonderful way, one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, God says to speak my name isn't just to say a word. But to speak my name, to bear my name, that that word take in Hebrew means to bear, to bear my name is to speak of who I am. It's not just words. It's to speak of my character. It's to speak of my reputation. The name carries with it all of his beauty, all of his exploits, all of his power in creating the world, all of his power in salvation is carried with his name. And that's why God says, family, if you misuse my name, you misrepresent me to the world. If you misuse my name, you misrepresent my character. You misrepresent my authority. You misrepresent my integrity to the world when you misuse my name. Don't drain my name. Don't Empty it of one drop of my glory, one drop of my goodness, one drop of my grace, one drop of my justice, one drop of my... Don't drain my name of its worth. There are three really good reasons I want to give you why we should not take the Lord's name in vain. Massive consequences of taking the Lord's name in vain. The first consequence is this. Taking the Lord's name in vain offends God. Did you know this? It offends God. Well, how could that offend God? Well, listen, you take my name in vain, just me, just little old me, you take my name in vain this week and you go bear my name misrepresenting me, my values, what I teach, what I love, who I am, my character, my reputation. If you bear my name in a way that isn't consistent with who I am, you're going to offend me. You bet your life you're going to offend me and it would offend you too, would it not? Of course it would. And in one sense, It doesn't really affect God that we bear his name wrongly if we take his name in vain because it doesn't change anything about God, about his glory or his goodness. If I don't think of him rightly or speak of him rightly or act rightly in accordance with his name, it doesn't change his nature, but he cares very much about his name and his reputation being clear in holding integrity and the truth of who he is being represented faithfully in the world around us. If not, we wouldn't have this command that says, thou shalt not take my name in vain. gods is offended when we do, and I'll show you a picture, a snapshot of why I see this. In Leviticus 22, God says, don't bring shame on my holy name, for I will display my holiness among the people. God intends to display His holiness, how He is unique and set apart, and there is none like our God. And when we empty His name of meaning, we put shame over His name. It offends God when we take His name in vain. That's one consequence. The second consequence, we take God's name in vain, believe it or not, it damages us. Well, how how is that, Kevin? I'm glad you asked. When we take God's name in vain, it damages us by damaging our relationship with God. Remember two weeks ago when we were talking about the Ten Commandments as a whole, we said one of the beautiful things about the Ten Commandments, one of the I mean, vastly valuable things about the Ten Commandments is they are rules that enable relationship. That's what rules do. Every relationship operates on agreed upon rules. Rules enable relationship. And one of those rules that is true in every relationship is you can't disrespect somebody and then expect to have a great relationship with them. Right? If you, if you don't believe me, if you go, that sounds, I don't know if that's always true, try it out this week. <laughs> pick one of your friends, pick your boss, choose your spouse, and go and misrepresent their character and their reputation and their viewpoints about the world and, and do that to their neighbors and their friends and your coworkers, and let's just see how that works out for you. You have a lovely wife? Well, tell everybody she's one cold-hearted woman, right? See how that works out for you this week. And if you wouldn't go so far as to say those things, well then just act in a way that conveys the message that they are not who they say that they are or represent themselves to be, that they're two-faced in the way that they act and that what they love isn't really what you think that they're supposed to. You just watch how it damages and destroys that relationship. You can't disrespect somebody and expect to have a, a healthy relationship with them. So if, if you want to, to uh, take the Lord's name in vain, expect, it's kind of like, like putting up an umbrella over yourself. And as God desires, the Bible promises this, he desires to shower blessings and grace on his people. That's what God wants for you. Jesus said, I, I died that you'd have abundant life. I died and resurrected that you would have life and life abundant. If you take the Lord's name in vain, if you empty it of meaning, it's like putting an umbrella over your head and blocking All of the the showers of grace that God wants to pour down on your life, it's putting something between you and God. It's what taking the Lord's name in in vain does. It damages us. And the third consequence of taking the Lord's name in vain is it harms others, right? And, And this is true. The way that you speak of God, the way you represent God always has an effect on other people. Always has. It's always worked this way. The way that God's people speak of God and represent God in the world has an effect on the people with whom they live and share their lives and the larger world around them. This has always been true. There is so much of this that has been going on in recent years. We've been talking about this for years here at Legacy. We talk about this all the time. It's the same old thing. We we watch as people misuse God's name, misrepresent God's name in the world around us. We talk about the church in particular, the church in America, in particular, the church in the South, how we've so entangled ourselves in things that have nothing to do with the character, the reputation, or the intentions of God. Things like party politics, things like trending cultures in some desperate attempt to be relevant or be cool for a moment. We entangle ourselves with some kind of spiritual movements that are, you know, they kind of have Jesus around them or on them. They're Jesus, you know, adjacent. There's some distortion or twist or bent on the truth. And we entangle in ourselves in in such a way that the Jesus people are preaching doesn't look anything like the Jesus that I know and that I love and that I bow before and that is worthy of worship. And that we read about in the Bible who lived a life that was a perfect example of grace and truth at all times, full of grace, full of truth, neither compromising the other, not 50-50, but 100-100. Nothing like the Jesus who, who, what he taught his disciples, the lessons he gave his followers about how they would live life in this world. Looks nothing like the God who I read about throughout the pages of the Bible, the heart of God and, and the desire that God has for his people So when I come to Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I think one thing God has in mind, one very big thing that God has in mind, is that you will either bless people by how you speak of God, how you represent God, by how you use his name, or you will harm people by the way that you misuse his name. And there's not a third option. There's not a something in between. Either blessing people by using his name in a right and consistent way with his character, or harming people by misusing his name with the people around you. Jen Wilkin, in her book, The Ten Words, we've got it in the lobby if you want to buy one today. Jen Wilkin wrote, To misuse the name of God is to commit an act of defamation against Yahweh himself. Lawyers in the room, are you with me? Okay. We do so often unthinkingly through everyday patterns of speech, using the name of the Lord with inconsistency, with misattribution, with lip service, and with informality. In her book, she dives into each of these categories, and it's, it's convicting. It's a scary mirror to look into. But her point is, and I, I think in one regard, we really need to recognize the gravity and weight of our words. Her proverb says, death and life is in the power of the tongue. It's true. And we see this, our words matter. Here's Leviticus 19. God says, You shall not swear falsely. Somebody say, Swear falsely. Swear. You shall not swear falsely by my name or make worthless oaths so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You see what's happening here? People should not attach their lack of integrity. My struggle to have real integrity and faithfulness, I should not attach that to God's reputation. It's devastating to his reputation to show my lack of ability to follow through by saying, oh, you know, I'm God's person, right? Second one, check this out. Jeremiah 23, 25. God says, I have heard what the prophets have said who, somebody say, prophesy falsely. Prophesy falsely. Try that again. Ready? One, two, three. Prophesy falsely. First it was don't swear falsely. Now it's don't prophesy falsely. Saying, I had a dream. God told me this. This is what you should know and what you should do. I'll tell you what you should do in this situation. I'm God's person. God would say that you should be doing this in this situation. And you see this all the time. People use God's name to boost their, uh, their credibility or to advance their issue or advance the, the take that they have on an issue by throwing God's name on top of their opinion or their hot take. And we see people, people do this in small ways all the time with each other. We use the collective straw man, you know, people. People have been saying. <laughs> and so you better do what I say because all of the people, right? And you go, who are these people? You don't have, I don't, I don't even think people like you. Why are you talking to me? Right? And then, and then they'll use people who are impressive, their name and reputation, people you're afraid of or people you're impressed by and go, you know, I was talking to so-and-so or I heard so-and-so said this. And you use that to build credibility for your take. You use that to try to get your thing done that you want done. And God says, you better be very careful not to use my name in that way. Okay? What happens is we, without intending to, maybe, without realizing it, we become functional false prophets. Functional false prophets. And like Jen said, often unthinkingly unthinkingly we do. So these are about our words, swearing falsely, um, um, bearing false witness, But I don't think it stops with our words, taking the Lord's name in vain. Look at uh, Leviticus 18. It says, you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them, sacrifice them, dedicate them to Moloch. And it connects this to taking the Lord's name in vain. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Moloch was a false god with a human body and a, a bull's head with outstretched arms ready to receive your children. Bring them to me and sacrifice your children to me. And history says that Israel began to do this. They interwove worship of the false god Moloch with their worship of the true god Yahweh. And they would dedicate or even sacrifice their children to this statue of Moloch. In fact, you read about it in 1 Kings 11 and 12. Even in Solomon's day, this was still going on. And it didn't really stop with the people of God fully until the Babylonian captivity. Now you go... Let's be fair here, I have never offered my kids as child sacrifices to a statue, right? Right? (laughs) I mean, someone needs to talk after the service. I'm a little concerned right now. If there's something that I don't know, let's talk today. I assume none of us are offering our children to statues as, as sacrifices or dedicating them to bullhead, arms open, statues like Moloch. (laughs) thank you I don't think though that this is a far cry and I don't think that you should think at all that this is a far cry from dedicating your children to the false gods of achievement and of performance and of them living up to your expectations or sports or academics or any of the many things that we thrust on them and make them to be little false gods in their lives I think that is the theological equivalent of offering our children to Moloch. It's taking these little things that have become little false gods in our lives and by our influence and our power oppressing our children and teaching them to worship false gods, dedicating our kids to to this. If we're Christian parents... And our parenting isn't marked by the love of God, the peace of God, devotion to Christ, bowing before God, but it's bowing before all of these things. Man, we are taking the Lord's name in vain in our parenting. Can you hear that from me? (laughs) Okay. Leviticus 22, last example here. Tell Aaron and his sons... To be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. In other words, empty worship takes the Lord's name in vain. I'll put it this way cultural Christianity takes the Lord's name in vain. Cultural Christianity, a genre of life where I kind of like the Judeo Christian ethic, I'm not necessarily bowing to Jesus, but I kind of like their style. It takes the Lord's name in vain. This was the big deal with the Pharisees, wasn't it? The Pharisees who were so careful to try to obey every law of God. In fact, they created laws to ensure that they would obey the laws of God. And then they were still struggling, so they created laws to help them enforce the laws, that helped them to enforce the the actual laws of God. And they had all of their attention on acting right and living right and doing right. And yet they failed at the thing that mattered the most. They didn't know God. They didn't care to know God. When God came in the flesh, they rejected him. They didn't care to truly know God, to have a relationship with him, to grow in love with God and to trust God. They just wanted to do the stuff. And that's what made all of their law-keeping, all of their efforts, all of their actions vain. Jesus said this to him in Mark 7. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart Far from me, in vain do they worship me. Ooh, careful in this next line. Teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. Take Titus 1:16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, by their deeds, they deny him. It's not just our words, it's our actions. So let's rephrase this commandment. It was a negative, thou shalt not, right? Let's give it a shall. Another way to state it would be, you shall put some respect on God's name, right? You shall represent the respect that is already there on God's name. You should reflect the glory and the goodness and the the love and the, the sacrifice and the integrity and the justice and the power that is already on God's name through your words, through your actions, and even through your intentions. Put some respect on God's name. And I'll tell you, I've never been more sensitive to the blatant, bare-faced acts of defamation against God by people who claim to belong to God as I have become over the last few years watching politicians and pastors and people doing all of the things that we just talked about, all of the things that we just looked at, doing those things in order to obtain power for themselves doing those things in order to keep power and position for themselves, waging a culture war out there in some attempt to curate a little life that fits their picture of how life should be. And they might be right about some of those things and wrong about some of those things, but they're doing it in a way, in a manner that God never called them to. Never been more sensitive to it and, and more, my fire been so stoked against it. And yet, and yet, it has not caused me to simply wag my finger without even more, even more looking at myself and realizing how often I take the Lord's name in vain and how many, many ways I take the Lord's name in vain on a daily basis. I'll give you the bad news. Bad news is Christians is people who bear his name. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to bear his name. We empty God's reputation any time we talk about him in any way that hinders the truth about him, any way we misrepresent him in the smallest of ways by our actions. And whenever we fail to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's the part maybe you see it's coming. The fact is, every person on this planet has, does, and will violate the third commandment. We do it over and over and over again. And according to the second part of that commandment, does it say, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. According to that, we deserve punishment. We all fall short. With the exception of one. Jesus fulfilled this commandment perfectly. Jesus kept this law perfectly on our behalf. He always spoke the truth of God. He loved God, his father, with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved the word of God. He, 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 all of his teaching hung on it. He explained it. He lived it out, right? When he prayed, it mattered. He felt such affection for the father that it, it motivated all of his actions, all of his thoughts, all of his feelings, all, all, of the, all of his life. He spoke the truth. He taught the truth. He lived the truth. He, he died for the truth, right? Take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus died in John 12, Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven, and he says, now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Takes a beat, and he says, no. For this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus is headed to the cross to die for people who violate the third commandment. And in this moment, he's fulfilling the third commandment. What's he say? He says, "'Father, glorify your name.'" And I love this. We get a a snapshot like this at Jesus' baptism. We get it at his transfiguration moment in Matthew 17. We get it right here Then a voice out of heaven said, "'I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again.'" And you see what Jesus is doing. He's fulfilling the third commandment, not taking it in vain, but he's also vindicating God's name. He is vindicating the name of Yahweh. He is proving it. He is defending it. He is upholding God's name and reputation by his love, by his character, by his teaching, by his fidelity, by his goodness, by his kindness, by his sacrifice, by his glory, by all of it, by forgiving sinners. Jesus is vindicating. He's saying people have spoken wrongly about God and they've borne his name wrong for generations and generations, but I am proving that God is as good as he has always said he was. I'm proving it, vindicating his name. And here's how God responds to this act by Jesus. Philippians 2 says Jesus, even though he existed in the form of God, he, he emptied himself. He took on human form in the likeness of human. It says he took on the form of a servant served even to the point of death, death on a cross, right? What does God do in response? Well, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess, every tongue, all people, unmistakably, not just those who go to church, but there will be a moment when everyone will go, oh, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus fulfills the third commandment in a way no one ever has, no one ever could. And therefore, he reframes it. Jesus has bestowed the name Yahweh. The father goes, yeah, <laughs> my son wears my name. My son wears my name. And there's no name that is more praiseworthy than the name Jesus. I've always struggled when we sing the songs that talk about the name of Jesus. I'm just confessing, it's just a weird neurotic thing in me. Even when I go to pray, and I had somebody years ago, early at Legacy, go, why don't, when you pray, why don't you say, in Jesus' name, amen? I go, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm the pastor. I got to do that now, right? I got to start doing it. I always, I always felt a little weird. I'm like, what am I doing here? Is this an incantation? Am I invoking some power here in some strange way? This is what's happening. I'm vindicating God's name. I'm affirming and approving and upholding. I'm saying, God, glorify your name. And he says, I have and I will again. (laughs) When I sing, there's power in the name. When I speak Jesus over my family, and over my anxiety, over my depression, all my enemies, when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm saying all the things that stand behind the name, needed here, needed here, please. So what do we do? What do we do with the third commandment? Do you want to know how to fulfill or how to keep the third commandment in your life? If not, we can just go home. Yes, there was one yes. For you, I will, I'll give you two things that you should know. If you want to know how to keep the third commandment. First, this is, this is huge because it starts with gospel, then law, right? Gospel, then law. Not the other way around. From, not for, We talked a couple of weeks ago about what happens when I don't feel free in Christ. Why is it that sometimes I don't feel free in Christ? And we talked about a bunch of different reasons that's possible. One of the things we said is it may be possible that you don't feel free in Christ because you have not yet been set free in Christ. That's possible. Maybe you have not yet been set free. You have not received the invitation of God's grace to pour and cover over your life. You have not received Jesus as king You have not received his sacrifice to be the one that fulfills the commandment for you. You have not clung to him, right? The question is, have you received his grace? Do you know Jesus? Have you heard him call your name and responded in faith, devotion, and love? Is he your Passover lamb? Is he your exodus? Is Jesus, is he your God? And if the answer is no, then today, this moment can be the moment where you just, you turn to Jesus and say, I can't follow the law. I can't follow my own, you know, New Year's resolutions. How on earth am I supposed to follow the law? But I want to cling to you because you are good, you are great, you are God. And today, you believe in the validity and the worth of Jesus' name, and you rely on Jesus' name. You want to know how to keep the, first, the third commandment? Believe in the validity and worth of Jesus' name and rely on His name. That's one way you do it. And then, from not for... From, not for Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which also was in Christ Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the command. Have the same attitude in yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit, desire that the Holy Spirit would make you to be more and more like Jesus in your words, in your actions, and your, even in your intentions. Desire that he would make you more and more like Jesus. Love Jesus, honor Jesus, put some respect on Jesus' name. Love Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because when the heart is emptied of affection for God, your words begin to be emptied of the truth of God, and your emotions and your acts all become empty and, and trivial and futile and vain. And that offends God and it damages us. And it does have an effect, it brings harm to others. I'll end with this and then we're done. One final verse, Proverbs 18:10. I love this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and is safe. Don't treat this tower like a crumbling shack. It is not one. It's a strong tower. And behind the name is salvation and grace and life and light, and peace. And that's a reputation worth holding up and showing and protecting for you, for your family, in a world that desperately needs it. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed in our minds and hallowed in our hearts. Hallowed in our our lives, When we go to spend the afternoon with our families, when we go to spend the evening with our friends, when we wake and go to work tomorrow, when we have decisions to make, will I spend my time this way or this way? Will I cut the corner here or will I I take the hard path here? Help us to hallow your name, that we would be people who would put some respect on your name or we would just reflect the respect that is behind your name with our lips and with our lives. Why? because we seek to magnify the God who saved us. We desire to walk in the freedom that you bought for us, not return to bondage into our own Egypt once again, but to walk in freedom, to delight in you, to know peace in the midst of storms, like this is real stuff. And we desire it, so help us to hallow your name so we can experience the blessings of obedience. And not just for us, but for our families and for our neighbors, for this world that, Lord, it just feels like it's falling apart around us. May we be a people who hallow your name. They would see the good, see the blessing in our life and give glory to the Father above. Help us where we are. Like the desperate father that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us where we are weak. And may your grace, may your grace carry us on those days. In Jesus' name, amen.